0: prestige subaru offering a variety of new and pre-owned all-wheel drive subarus built with the zero landfill promise all waste is recycled or reused with more at prestige Asheville rooftop bar tours enjoy springtime on this award-winning three-hour experience putting you in the middle and on top of Asheville's scenic beauty and intriguing history. Enjoy handcrafted drinks and delicious food, all led by a local expert guide. Tours offered daily and year-round with transportation provided. Visit Asheville AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com. And by romanticashville.com Create your perfect vacation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Plan your next getaway to Asheville and the North Carolina Blue Ridge Mountains by visiting romanticashville.com Welcome to Speaking of Travel with Marilyn Ball. Sit back and be carried away to places around the world and right here in our own backyard. No passport required.
1: Hi, this is Marilyn Ball. Welcome to Speaking of Travel right here on iHeartRadio 570 WWNC. And remember, you can always listen to this episode of Speaking of Travel Or any past episode with a simple click on the Speaking of Travel website, that's speakingoftravel.net, and on all your favorite podcast platforms, including the iHeartRadio app, Buzzsprout, Pandora, and Amazon. And be sure when you visit speakingoftravel.net to sign up for the Travel Club. You'll receive travel news, helpful tips, and links to stories from people who choose to have a life of adventure and discovery rather than one of security and comfort. Well, My guest today is someone who has chosen travel as the ultimate journey of self-discovery. Jill Culliner has crossed much of Europe on foot, traveled by bus and train, car and truck throughout North and Central America. Europe has lived in a Hungarian mud house, a Bavarian castle, a Turkish cave. She's lived on a Dutch canal and even in a haunted house on the English moors. Jill is an artist and her work has been exhibited in cultural centers and galleries and museums across Europe and Canada. And Jill, thank you so much for being on Speaking of Travel today, speaking to us from France. It is lovely to have you. It's very nice to have invited
2: me. Thank you very much, Marilyn.
1: Well, Jill, you are certainly a woman after my own heart. I like to think of myself as somebody who has chosen a life of adventure and discovery and look at security and comfort as definitely something that I I want. But there's another part of me that just wants to be out there and discover and and you've done so much of that and I really want to I wanna really talk to you about how you began realizing that there was something in your heart and soul
2: to keep you out and moving. Don't even know if I realized it. It's just that I started out at at the age of 17. I I left home because life was... It was supposed to be so normal. I was, you know, supposed to go to university and then get married to somebody I met at university, and then buy a, get a big house and a nice big diamonds like some of the more successful girls in the in the class, and have children and be happily ever, live happily ever after. And that struck me as being a pretty boring thing to do. I don't know how you felt about it. Did that interest you?
1: Well, you know, I grew up in Washington, D.C. I came from a family that was, they were immigrants uh, from Russia. So first generation, both my parents. My father was actually born in Russia. Uh, So they wanted us to live the American dream. I think they were, you know, when they came to Ellis Island, they realized that there was a ambition and and uh, all those things that you just talked about that was what was expected I found that I was a bit of a rebel found myself taking off and traveling like you but then then I stopped then I went into the what was expected of me so took me many many years later to get back to the real true self if you know what yes. I mean.
2: Yes, yes, I know. But I came from the second generation immigrant family from Russia, and we have basically the same background, both of us, you and I. And uh, perhaps that one generation difference does make a because, yeah, it makes a big difference to the the the, the sense of duty that one has to one's parents. Especially
1: when yeah. they uh, they... <laughs> you know suffered so much they went through so much they had a much yes. different lifestyle than than we did and and that was something that was very difficult over the years as a child especially to really understand was what they were holding inside that they they really weren't going to share because it was yes. something they had to do. So, Jill, when you left home at 17, where did you go? Like, what was your first, uh, I'm leaving, I'm going, I'm going no, out on Oh, actually, own? no, no, it no, was no. messy.
2: It was messier than that. Yeah, I was thrown out of my fourth school. So so, so um, I knew that I couldn't go home. It was a boarding school, and I, it was in Michigan. So I simply headed for New York. I had $5, and I felt very, very rich, so I went to New York. And I arrived in New York with five dollars and felt that you know the whole world was at my fingertips, and so I simply slept in the corridor the first night and thought, well, you know, this is a good beginning. I made sure I didn't wrinkle my coat up too much, so I looked decent in the morning. But that that was how I started. Now,
1: <laughs> that is very uh,
2: like I'm into it. This is it. Here it goes. You, Here it goes. Yes, did I, it. I did end up living in an absolutely wonderful place. About five days later, I found a a very boring job in a bank, just being a messenger. And I couldn't think of anything else, but at least they were hiring. And I found a room in what had been the old Barrymore house. The Barrymores had each had one floor of this house of a brownstone and it had been very very elegant now it was a ruin you know with the white crosses on the windows because it was going to be demolished and pigeons lived in the elevator shaft and there was no hot water and there was no heat nothing it was really just a terrible place really um but i loved it i had a beautiful room with an elegant fireplace that you couldn't use and i thought it was great there were very strange characters living in the other rooms too so i thought this was real life it had finally begun and you fit right in you were you were <laughs> well obviously well yes there were two old vaudeville stars living in the other rooms and they were really characters you could imagine mm. well,
1: it sounds like something out of a book and that is a great transition because you've written many books and yes i want to find out as you as your adventures began, as you, you were in New York, give me an idea of of how things were. What were you thinking, Jill, as were you just kind of going, I'm going to go through day by day and, and live my life and be just be alive and free? Or did you have a vision of where you ultimately wanted to go? Did you have oh, some kind think, of pull?
3: Yeah,
2: I, no. oh, I don't think I had much of a vision of anything. I, <laughs> it was... This was the beginning of, you know, hippie days it was back in the 60s. This was before the hippie days, the old beatnik days were gluing themselves onto into hippie days. And no, I don't think I had any vision of anything. I, I, I thought I wanted to be an actress and I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be a star in some way. That was important. So, but, you know, that's... And I I became eventually a fashion model, but not a very successful one. And then I went to San Francisco because that was the thing to do. And when I was there, I thought it was the most horribly bland place I'd ever lived in. I I mean, everybody was, you know, everything was cool and everything was wow. (laughs) And I hated it. So I went to the airport and looked at destinations and then chose one and went, left for Belgium. Wow. And what what were
1: you thinking? What was Belgium in your mind? It was the cheapest flight. You know, Jill, somehow I just knew that's what you were going to say. Again, a woman after my own heart, just doing it. Well, when we come back from the break, I want to talk more about all of this. You have such a rich, rich history and just so much going on so much going on you are you are bigger than life to me Jill because you have done so many things and and walked so many places I want to talk to you about all of the places that you've walked the history that you've gathered and I I can't thank you enough for being here today on Speaking of Travel I can't
2: thank you enough either for listening
1: well this is Marilyn Ball I'm here with Jill Culliner she's talking to us from France Mm -hmm. Just wonderful stories. Come on back. We're having a good time. Spring is in the air here in Asheville, North Carolina, and we're so excited because now is the time to join Asheville Rooftop Bar Tours on their exciting 3-hour rooftop experience. You will enjoy city history, handcrafted drinks and food, breathtaking views, reserved seating, and a local guide leading the way. And they take care of the driving too. Enjoy the VIP treatment on this TripAdvisor award-winning tour. Tours seven days a week. For more information, visit AshevilleRooftopBarTours.com.
3: Buongiorno, this is Mark Smith, president of Private Italy Tours LTD. For over 15 years, we have had the privilege of sharing some of Italy's most well-known and many less-known places with over 700 satisfied clients. We feel very confident that we will all be able to travel to Europe again by the early fall of 2021. When we are finally able to return to Italy, place your trust with an organization of exceptional travel professionals. Join us on one of our small group tours of between 10 and 16 guests or, if you prefer, we offer complete custom itinerary planning services. Deposit specials are available to confirm your place on one of our exceptional tours. Join us in Bella Italia, private-italy.com. Fly me to the moon Let me play among the stars And Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars In other words,
1: welcome back to Speaking of Travel. This is Marilyn Ball, your host, and I'm here today with Jill Culliner. She has crossed very much of Europe on foot. She's traveled by bus and train and car. And Jill, it's just so wonderful to talk to you in France. Give us a little idea of of what it's like where you're sitting right now.
2: Where I'm sitting, it's it's a small village. Of maybe 400 people, but most of them live out in the country. It's supposed to be an area that's called bocage, which means it has hedges everywhere, big trees and hedges. Unfortunately, because of industrial farming, many of the hedges are being ripped out. Uh, well, everybody's destroying the environment. It, 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 it drives me crazy. And I know you feel the same way about it. <laughs> We're both activists in this way. Um, it's a village. I'm in mean, a house that was built probably in sometime in the 1500s or the uh, late 1500s. Uh, the walls are stone, they're one meter thick. And um, it's very cold in winter, <laughs> but it's icy cool in summer as well. So that's fun. So when it's really hot, 100 degrees or 120 outside, I can sometimes just put a sweater over my shoulders inside
1: that sounds that sounds lovely and also could be a little challenging to uh, to yeah. feel that chill all the time.
2: but it's an old inn as well. That's oh. what I should add. It's an old an ancient inn um it, and it has the rooms once. I don't know if you know this but the old inns once were just one whole floor and everybody slept together and one in one place they shared fleas and they shared they shared everything straw and and and, and smells and everything but back at then probably in the late 1800s they started dividing things up into rooms so people had their own rooms
1: well i would imagine that even before then people were just sleeping in open fields or
2: Crumbling well, castles. it depends if they were poor or not. If they were, if they were poor, they didn't really sleep in the fields. They usually slept in barns, or they slept in the stables, or they sometimes they slept in the cafe downstairs in cafes on on the tables of the cafes, and that was true all across Europe and probably in America as well. It was the same sort of life in both places.
1: Well Jill, I wanna I wanna go back in time just a little bit. You were in San Francisco, you were doing some work there, you got on a plane, you went to Belgium.
2: Yes. And then uh yes, and then I went to England from Belgium. I didn't stay in Belgium, I went to England because I being in Canada you always heard about England, England, we sang God Save to the Green. In England, we had English history. We didn't have Canadian history, not in those days. So I had to go to England because I had a very romantic idea about England. And I started touring all around England on a motorbike. And then I lived in a, got a place briefly up in the north of England in an old mining town where people were, the mines were still open. And I was allowed to go down into the mines and see what that was like. And then I moved down to the south and then finally I had, I left because I had to leave because of visa. My visa was up. So I left and went to France and I had a car that I bought for the equivalent for 50 pounds, which is about 50 dollars and drove it down to Paris. And then it broke down. So I started living in Paris. But it was in England that I discovered the green lanes, the green lanes that went from one village to the other that crisscrossed the whole country and Hadrian's wall of course that I walked along and after that I just knew I had to spend the rest of my life walking so that's what I've done
1: wow so let's talk about that walking because in the walking you discovered so many things and you and I would imagine that you just your mind was open up to to so much history and and souls you know when when I think about traveling by foot I think about the people who
2: had walked before me. Did you feel that way as you were walking? I still do. I do all the time. When I walk along the green lanes here outside of the village uh, and I go from one village to another, these roads are pre-Roman. They were by people, we don't even think about those people today, and, and they were used because you couldn't see anybody. They're sunken lanes, and you can't see anybody when they walk. So whole groups of, of people who were resisting the Romans took these green roads hidden by the trees and the, and, and the depth, and the Romans never knew who was there or who was passing. So they would, the Romans would build their forts on the high places. In this area, there are still quite a few ruins of where the Roman forts were. But you still couldn't see down into the green lanes, and 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 this is what a wonderful thing, what what a privilege it is to be able to walk along these roads. Farmers took them later. Mail post people took them. Um, all sorts of people who cut trees, people who were itinerant workers. Everybody took these roads. Mailmen, everyone, and they're all gone now. They're empty now. But um, but I take them, and so do other walkers.
1: And like you said, the feeling of of the past of the people who walked before you are they're always it's always there. It's never gonna That's go right.
2: away. That's right, yes. Yes. Especially when you see old trees, trees that are hundreds of years old, and you think, oh my goodness, what they've seen. So
1: Jill, tell me how walking then helped you to move on and
2: and find other places to walk. Well I I actually it wasn't uh I'm, when I left France, I went to live in Turkey and I learned very quickly that as a woman, you don't go walking in Turkey. <laughs> if you do, you're going to have problems because if you're alone, that means you're not claimed by anybody. So you're, you know, basically you're there as you're just game, right? You're just you a pheasant waiting for somebody with a gun. Um, and after that, I moved to Germany. And in Germany, there were more of the green lanes and, of course, different. There's a different history and, and different history to the villages. And as you walk, you see the villages and you watch and you look at the names. And names are very evocative They they, they of, of the people who lived there and the history of a place. So going from ancient history, after that, I decided I would have to start exploring Eastern Europe, the play, place of our origins. I must also add that I have crossed much of having crossed much of Germany and what is now um, the Czech Republic on foot and Slovakia. Um, I sleep in the fields. Uh, Sometimes I can find small inns, but they're pretty rare. And I generally sleep in the fields, and there's a real technique to sleeping in a field. You have to make sure you're not in the middle of a field because in the morning you're covered with dew and absolutely miserable. You can't sleep in a forest because there are poachers, always. Always. And and so you can't sleep too close. You have to be close enough to a forest not to be seen, but in a field not too far into the field. And what I do is I walk into a village, have a lovely dinner, but I've picked out the place that I'm going to sleep just by looking at it, not going to it, just in case anyone's watching. And I wait till dark falls, and then I circle back to the place I've chosen.
1: And do you, I guess, carry everything with you on your back? Are you backpacking this? Yeah, Yeah. No, well
2: I travel very light.
1: Very light.
2: And I always have my dogs with me as well. You bring your dogs? Oh yes, they're great walkers. I bet.
1: (laughs) Oh that's lovely. So you're really never alone. You've got well you've got company. And then how did you how did you discover the Jewish angle? How did that all come into play?
2: Because because I became I Actually, it's very strange. I was reading a book, Irving Howe's book, uh, World of Our Fathers, and at one point, well, I had already started, I suppose, living in Germany <laughs> woke me up to the fact of being Jewish. Uh, I had some, I met, because this is some years ago, I did meet people who had been in the SS. I did meet people who had been arrested by, after the war, um, and they somehow felt this need to talk to me because I was Jewish. They wanted to do their confession somehow. It was a very strange situation. And uh, it, it, I became more aware of this, of being Jewish in Germany. And I started photographing villages where Jews had lived, which are where they no longer lived. And this became an exhibition, which was called the Memoiré Fassé, the Vanished Memory, which traveled throughout Europe and into and to Canada as well. And which brought me to Irving Howe's book where I read about a group of Romanians who had walked out of their country in 1899. And they they had become part of a movement called the Fuskeres until, and they walked until about 1907, the groups. And after that, the movement was over. And I thought, well, I have to explore this. And since they walked out of their country, I decided I had to walk in their footsteps. And I was very lucky to have found um, a manuscript written by one of the Fuskerers who gave a detailed itinerary of where they passed. So that's what I followed. I to translate it from Yiddish first.
1: From Yiddish? Oi. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well,
1: Jill, when we come back, let's talk about this. Uh, I want to hear more about this. You know, it's kind of blowing my mind in a way because all of this is so... There's something just so beautiful about walking in their footsteps. Oh, yeah. Very and that, touching. Very yeah. touching. So I guess I'm a little for We'll be back. This is Marilyn Ball. I'm here with Jill Cullender, and we will be right back.
3: Green is good. Local food, less oil. Renewable energy, sustainable peace. Tree hugger. Say no to GMOs. Be kind to animals, don't eat them. Go solar. Coexist. Don't buy a dog, rescue one. Keep Asheville weird. We just read the bumper stickers on the back of a Subaru. Welcome to Subaruville. Prestige Subaru. On the web at PrestigeSubaru.com. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, Welcome back to
1: Speaking of Travel. This is Marilyn Ball. I'm your host, and I'm here with Jill Culliner. And Jill, I, I really want to thank you so much for being on Speaking of Travel today. And and I do want to make sure that people have the knowledge of where to go to find out more information about you. So you have a website with all your information?
2: Oh, I do have a website and I have blogs as well. And yeah, yes. And I have my podcast about, yes, my travels as well. I don't know how, I, if, if they just type my name. I
1: do show up. That's Jill Culliner, C-U-L-I-N-E-R. Mm-hmm. That's right, right, well, Jill, let's go back to the to the Eastern European Jews and the walking yes. that they were doing because there were there were so many historical moments where where Jews were on the on the run on the walk, yes, having to flee many times. Give us a little idea of of what you discovered as you found out more about this. Well, they
2: weren't fleeing, but they were fleeing for economic reasons. The situation was very complicated. Romania was a new country in 1848. And although there were equal rights, they equal rights were offered because they had the French model and not, equal rights were offered to all citizens. The Jewish community, uh, because many of them were Orthodox, they didn't want equal rights and they didn't want to be part of Romania. So they turned down the possibility they had of becoming citizens. And because they were fighting, modern modern life um, when finally discriminatory policies came into came into being in the 1870s and 1880s they were left out they had nobody to defend them because they had refused to participate in society and so therefore they became outcasts in a society that became increasingly racist and uh, so by the time, in the 1880s, 1890s, there were there were manifestations and pogroms and blood libels and all sorts of terrible things. And Jews were no longer able to find work. And there was a whole class of craftsmen um, who were no longer employed. And they were the ones who decided they were going to walk out of the country. And the, the first group was an amateur theater group. And they said, well, how are we going to make money? We'll put on theater performances in every city that has a Jewish population as we walk through Romania, which is what they did. And they brought in quite a bit of money doing that, producing plays, Yiddish plays. And they did intend to walk across all of Europe, but they weren't allowed to because the Austro-Hungarian Empire didn't allow walkers. And so... They were stopped at the border and the Jewish aid agencies in Budapest and in Vienna and France, everywhere, they sent money so that they could continue on by train. And so they went through all the major cities and until they reached the ports and from the ports, they went on to either South Africa or America or even Australia. That walk, the, um, there was one, there were two incidences that, I, that I'd love to tell you about because they were very special. One was, um, I wasn't sure I was on the right track because I was following a manuscript that said we walked for three hours outside of Fuxian and we came to a river where we sat down and had tea. I mean, I had no idea where they, where they were going. I knew that the next town would probably be Buzhou or someplace. So I could only vaguely follow this. I wasn't taking the roads. I was seeking because the roads are too treacherous, so I was just walking on back trails and never knowing if I was in the right place. And I remember the day that I walked for three hours outside of Buxton, and I came to a river, and, <laughs> and 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 he had talked about a bridge, and there was the bridge, and so I was actually in the same place that there by pure luck. I was, and moments like that are extremely touching. And another moment was, um, I think it was in Nuremberg, where. I went to the archives to get information about Romanian Fusker that had passed or Romanians that had passed through the train station, because I knew that because in his manuscript, Finkelstein's manuscript, he talked about passing through Nuremberg and the archivist said to me, I'm sorry, everything was destroyed by the Nazis. There's nothing left. Um, We have no more documents. And then he looked and he said, "But well, there's one document, but it's only a meeting. It's, a, it's, a, it's the notes of a record of a meeting in, in 1899. Would you like to see it? And I said, yes. And he came up with this very little thin document and this one document that had survived. They talked about the Romanian immigrants that were at that moment sitting in the train station. And so I had found them again. And that happened all the way through Canada up to the prairies. And then you uh, wrote a book about this. Yes, which is Finding Home in the Footsteps of the Jewish Fuskeers. But but the most recent book I've I've written is the one that will be coming out in October, which is about a singer called Beldel Sparzer, who was a Jewish singer and poet and part of the Jewish Enlightenment. And he also had gone to Romania, where he sang at all the low bars. And, and in what is today's Ukraine, he sang at all the bars. And so I followed him. I've been spending the last 12 years following him and going to low bars and looking for any trace of Beldo Sparza. And that, too, was, was quite fascinating because it got me walking through parts of the Ukraine in snowstorms, of course. Of course. Well, of course, yeah. You know.
1: And we we talked earlier, too, about, you know, just when we think about leaving a small footprint, uh, leaving a small carbon footprint, this is certainly the way to do it when you're traveling by foot and and traveling slowly. And that's that's an idea that uh, has been around, obviously, for a long time, but it seems to be getting a little more mainstream now and. And that's something that I, I feel travelers, especially coming out of out of this pandemic and, and going out into the world again, really can practice this slow travel of being able yeah. to take our time. Let's talk a little bit about that. As you were as you were walking, what were some of the things that were coming into your mind as far as just the changes that you were witnessing along these ways?
2: Changes in what way changes in
1: in in development in uh, in yes, in, in a, real world
2: time yes, unfortunately, my references were the past, and I was seeing devastation of the modern world you know things disappearing, things being replaced by plastic, noise everywhere, video clips noise and and roaring cars and which and you you see, I mean, and you, of course you see all the dead animals along the roads, and 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 the destruction. And it would be so much nicer if people just went more slowly. Uh, you would think that the pandemic would teach people that they should go slowly. Maybe some people have learned that. I don't know if you've noticed it, but these big, huge um, factory ships—you know, holiday factory ships, cruise ships. They're filling up like before and people are flying to places like before. It's as if they haven't learned from the pandemic.
1: Ah, uh, it is. It's, you know, when you think about the the sounds and the smells and the feelings that, that are our past and and that we're really close. They're not far away as you said to yeah. to feeling them and to knowing that their memories
2: and their spirits live on. Yeah. But the, the, the odors, the thing is that when you're on foot, you see things and you hear things. You can escape the modern world and you can see things that, that, that you would never see in a car or in a plane. In a plane, suddenly you're there in some place, then you go to a, then you go to a hotel and that's it. Um, whereas on foot, it's slow change, it's slow change. You've lived on a mountain. And so life had slow, You saw slow change all the time. It's a lesson I learned
1: from the forest. Is yeah. uh, and it and it contributes to patience. Uh, this is what this is how we can learn to be patient, just by following the order of the forest, which just takes forever to sometimes make the most beautiful uh, trees.
2: Yes absolutely and you the, the, the I'm sure that the sounds of the forest stay with you even though you're not there anymore yes they are in our in my heart absolutely
1: so Jill what do you see for your uh, for yourself on the horizon oh
2: goodness gracious i have no idea for the time being i'm <laughs> i have no idea yet uh um, I've, this book is just going to be published. I, we've just finished working on the editing, so I'm waiting to see it come out in October. So for the moment, I'm just on that. For the moment, I don't know anything else yet other than just continuing to walk.
1: Well, Jill, I I am looking forward to someday coming to France and taking a walk with you.
2: You're more than
1: welcome. But there's no in... comfort
2: in this place. Well, I was going to say
1: I, I will bundle up. depending on what season it is. Well, Jill, thank you again. And I really would love to have you back on Speaking of Travel at another time and and just continue this. I'd love to come back. This brilliant conversation. Thank you so much. I I just can't tell you. you. Well, you. you are so welcome. You know, traveling slowly is a concept that we can all practice as we begin to emerge out of our homes and look to visiting new places and meeting new people. And there's nothing like getting to know the area where you're in and meeting new people than staying in a bed and breakfast. And coming up next is Angela Harrell. She's the owner and innkeeper of Cumberland Falls B&B and the co-owner of Hike Bike Kayak Asheville. And she has lots of info on why you may want to include a bed and breakfast as your vacation option. So stay tuned.
0: Summertime is the perfect time to get out and explore North Carolina's Blue Ridge Mountains. Create your perfect vacation or staycation in the land of the sky with the region's most popular online travel guide. Not just for couples, RomanticAsheville.com travel guide covers a nearly 100-mile radius in and around Asheville, North Carolina with idyllic weather, beautiful scenery, and a variety of safe and memorable adventures. Western North Carolina is the place to be. Visit romanticashville.com today.
3: Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on a Jupiter and Mars. In other words,
1: welcome back oh to Speaking of Travel. I'm your host Marilyn Ball. As we begin venturing out again words, and beginning to travel, there are so many things to take yes. into consideration. Since we're experiencing a gradual return to traveling, you might want to think about just taking baby steps right now versus that big trip overseas. So if you've been thinking about getting back out there and perhaps having a getaway or a staycation, you might want to include a bed and breakfast as your vacation option. The best B&Bs offer world-class accommodations in very unique settings and provide authentic hospitality. Consider Asheville's own Cumberland Falls B&B. It's more like a retreat with a spa and bike rentals and a pretty nice fire pit to hang around. My guest is Angela Harrell. She's the owner and innkeeper of Cumberland Falls B&B and the co-owner of Hike, Bike, Kayak, Asheville. And Angela, it is so great to have you on Speaking of Travel.
4: Well, thank you. It's nice to be here.
1: So, Angelo, so much to do. It is like a a destination just coming to Cumberland Falls B&B. Give us a little backstory. How did you get involved in this?
4: We we moved here from San Diego four years ago to buy Cumberland Falls. Owning a bed and breakfast is just something that I've always wanted to do. I love having people over, taking care of people, making people feel loved and important. So it seemed like a pretty obvious thing for me to do. (laughs) So you've had it for how long? actually July 1st is our fourth anniversary. We well, call them anniversaries.
1: <laughs> well, congratulations. So Thanks. you really, you have so much going on there. You've got the, the spa and the bike rentals and the fire pit and the you have ponds. What's it like for somebody to come and, and stay there with you to be able to have all of this and be so close to town?
4: What I hear most from my guests is that it's a, a very peaceful retreat. You know, we are just one mile from downtown Asheville. So It's a quick, you know, 15, 20 minute walk into the bustling city, but in our neighborhood, it's a historic neighborhood and it's very quiet tree lined streets and it's very peaceful and beautiful. My house sits on about almost an acre of um, gardens and koi ponds that has the fire pit and ponds and we have a swing and um, there's a lot of places for my guests to just go out and and be kind of in nature and be around, you know, big, beautiful hundred year old trees and and that kind of thing. It's very peaceful.
1: It sounds lovely, and I just love that uh, you're in the Montford neighborhood? We are. Yeah, it's such a beautiful, beautiful neighborhood here in Asheville, North Carolina. So let's talk a little bit about your breakfast portion of the program. What's it like there? Do you have? Do, you do your own cooking?
4: I do. I'm the cook here. Um, we serve a three-course breakfast. The middle course is very small. It's a little intermezzo. So we start out with a small first course, like a muffin or a yogurt or something like that, fruit. And then we have the intermezzo and they're kind of creative and silly little things that I do. um, little bite-sized eclairs or a shot of orange Julius or something like that. So they're, they're just a little fun thing to do. And then the main course obviously is the, is where everything is, you know, you eggs, potatoes, bacon, or French toast or waffles, Belgian waffles, whatever. That no one leaves hungry.
1: (laughs) I'm getting hungry just thinking about all that yummy food. So it sounds so far so good. You've got all this yummy food. It sounds delicious. And then you've got your spa. And let's talk a little bit about that spa. What what happens there at the spa? Um,
4: The spa is in the lowest level of our home. And um, we do massages, couples massages, and also foot soaks and foot scrubs.
1: So it is really like a one-stop shop. You just... You just get there, park your car, go to your room, and then you can take a nice walk right downtown. But let's talk a little bit about your other company, The Hike by Kayak Asheville, that you co-own with your husband. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Mm -hmm. So how did that all happen?
4: Well, we um, before we moved here from San Diego, that's what we did in San Diego. We had Hike by Kayak San Diego. So um, it became very quickly aware to me that my husband was not going to stay in the inn. I was not going to contain him in the walls of this house. So um, he found out that the North Carolina Arboretum had classes to become a certified uh, Western North Carolina Blue Ridge naturalist. So he signed up for their classes and um, now it's been over 300 hours of training, hundreds of miles of hiking um, to become a certified naturalist. So we opened Hike bike, hike Asheville so that he could share that experience and that knowledge with our guests and also with all the other tourists and travelers um, in, in Asheville.
1: So you really can you could do that experience and go hiking or biking or kayaking regardless of whether you're staying at the inn or not. So anybody can get information about that.
4: Yeah, yeah. He has his own website. You can sign up for tours. You know, definitely a lot of our guests here do go on the tour. It's kind of fun to have David serve you breakfast and then put you in his truck and take you onto the Blue Ridge Parkway. So really convenient to just get up from the breakfast table and
1: head out. Angela, it really does sound like a one-stop destination that you could either fly into Asheville or you could do a staycation, a drive-in literally park your car and then not even have to get in the car again because you're so close to so many things right there in the Montford neighborhood.
4: Yeah, I agree. I think, I mean, you know, there's 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 so much to do in Asheville that you could use a car, like to go to the Arboretum or to go, you know, ziplining at Navitat. I mean, there's a lot to do here. But if you wanted to just park your car and you could walk into town for dinner, you could have David take you on a tour or a kayak tour and still see, you know, Lake Lure or Lake James or the French Broad River through town. So yeah, definitely you don't, you don't have to use your car if you don't want to. That sounds wonderful.
1: And you had mentioned earlier the old growth trees that you have there. Tell us a little bit about your your property and what we can expect when we come to the neighborhood and get right onto the property of Cumberland Falls.
4: So my house, sits kind of up on a knoll. So we're not at street level. It's kind of actually even hard to see my house through all the beautiful trees from the road. Um, I have a huge Linden tree and a big Buckeye tree, right, right in front of the house that are just over a hundred years old and just 80 feet tall. They're huge trees. And then um, my whole front area is full of ferns and berry doors. And it's a little bit whimsical of a, of a garden. My home was actually just on the garden tour of Montford and we were one of the houses featured there. And, um, And then behind the house, there's a pineapple fountain in front that welcomes everybody, you know, the sign of hospitality. And then when you walk around the back um, is where the koi ponds and the fire pit are. And again, it's a lot more gardens, a lot of hydrangea, a lot of rhododendron, full of color, you know, from the early spring and all the way through summer. And then I have my koi ponds that are beautiful. We just recently put in a, a natural bog filter in the top pond, which was a really big project that we're pretty proud of.
1: Well, it sounds like with all of your husband's classes and becoming just such a an expert on nature that you have yet again something that you can really hang your hat on. Not only this beautiful accommodation, the spa, the opportunities to eat such yummy food and meet some new people, but also learn about what's out there in this incredible world nature preserve we call home. Yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah. He knows everything about all the flora and fauna and he's so uh, he loves to talk about it. So his his enthusiasm is is contagious for sure.
1: Well it sounds like everything just is overlapping so well and give us uh, the website so we can get information about the inn and about the kayaking and the hiking and the biking.
4: Yeah so um Cumberland Falls is just Cumberlandfalls.com. And um, our adventure tour company is hikebikekayakashville.com.
1: Well, Angela, thank you so much for being on Speaking of Travel. And thank you so much for being a partner with Romantic Asheville, because really the collaboration that comes from the tourism partnerships that are here in Western North Carolina, they're just so wonderful and important that everybody is connecting with each other. So I can't wait to come over there. I'm going to come over. You're going to give me the grand tour. I'd be happy to. I'd love to have you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Angela. And thank you to Jill for being on Speaking of Travel today. You know, as the time comes to begin traveling again, I'd like you to pledge to be a better traveler, a more sustainable traveler. Well, here are a few things to think about as you make your plans to get out and travel again. Know the history of where you're going and try to get a better understanding of the culture of your destination. Find out some of the off-beaten path sites from locals and other travelers and then walk around. You'll reduce your carbon footprint when you're walking or even taking public transportation. And be eco-friendly. Stay in eco-friendly places that also protect the heritage of the region. And show respect for the local culture and find fun ways to meet locals and sample some traditional foods. And help the economy wherever you go. Buy from local artists and go to locally owned restaurants. All of this helps preserve heritage. And overall, just use common sense. Turn off lights and TVs when you go out. Carry your own reusable water bottle. Bring your own shampoo and conditioner and soap. And by saving water and energy, we can help really find that economic, social, and environmental balance to traveling responsibly. When you understand and practice sustainable travel, you'll find you're protecting our greatest assets and it will provide you a unique opportunity to connect on a much deeper level and enrich your life. Because remember, life is short, don't postpone joy.